This is Product by Design, a podcast by Prodigy, where we explore technology, artificial intelligence, user experience, product management, and the philosophy of building products and companies. All right. Welcome to another episode of Product by Design. I am Kyle Evans, and this week we have another awesome guest joining us, uh, Peter Wasmer. Welcome to the show, Peter. Hey, thank you, Kyle. It's uh, great to be here. Thanks very much for having me. Yeah, it's great to have you on. So let me introduce Peter briefly, and then Peter, you can tell us more about yourself. But uh, Peter is a longtime Naples, Florida-based entrepreneur who helps pragmatic small business owners manage like a pro. He understands both sides of the business using his deep experience to bring constant innovation to small business. And his latest project is Pro Valet, uh, which focuses on helping small and medium-sized uh, service businesses increase value, improve efficiency, and drive down costs. So I'm excited to talk about all of that uh, because you've got a lot of experience and an interesting, cool uh, project that you're working on right now and, and interesting business. But before we dive into that, why don't you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Yeah, thanks, Kyle. Um, as, you, as you mentioned, I've been living in Naples, Florida for over 30 years. Uh, I grew up in New as a great divergent when I was a kid. I loved the sunshine, loved to be outside. And when I found uh, Naples, I said, well, I'm going to I'm going to live there one day. And so here I am. And so as a as a matter of course, it was less important about where I was to make a career happen than actually where I landed to create a life. So uh, that's what we found down here. And since I've been here, um, I've done a number of different things. I've had uh, several different career lives, I'd call it. The first one uh, entailed leasing heavy equipment and computer systems to Fortune 500 companies, which sounds pretty sterile in a lot of ways, but because of the nature of the business, we got to see a lot of different financial structures and a lot of different equipment and met a lot of different, very interesting people who were doing really cool things um, all across, all across the globe, really. And, um, and that was a really, it was a really fascinating, um, foundation for, um, for a lot of things that I got involved with. The one thing that leasing really did for me was, uh, level set the idea that if you can think it, you can do it because there were people who were wanting to lease, pieces of equipment to do really interesting projects. And so I was really captivated by that. Um, we sold that business in uh, 2007 and, um, and I stayed on with them for a couple of extra years. And then uh, soon after that uh, came to a close, I was approached by some investment bankers who wanted to lease Harley Davidson motorcycles and I thought, hey, that's cool. That's a brand that I know. I like it. And I think I can trust it. <laughs> so, so we investigated what that would look like. And as it turned out, a terrific asset from a value perspective. So it made it a great candidate for leasing. And we did. We put together a national leasing program for Harley-Davidson motorcycles. And this was not a rental program. This was literally like you're, you're going to lease a car for two, three, or four years. We did the same thing for Harley Davidson motorcycles. So and that was a that was a terrific project, both from a systems building perspective to a relationship building perspective. I got into a marketplace I didn't know anything about and found really the most wonderful people all across all across America. In every nook and cranny, you could find people that were aligned with the brand and 
really just terrific, terrific people. So it's a great experience doing that. Uh, that uh, business morphed into another business where we grew not just uh, doing uh, performing leases or, or uh, offering leases for Harley Davidson's, but also uh, a lease program for now every power sport item, every every brand that you could imagine. And so because we had the data that told us how much these assets would be worth and we could project their value, we created a system that allowed dealers, any dealer across the country to literally punch in the type of motorcycle it was, the year that it was, the cost that they were going to sell it at and generate a lease with a push button. And uh, when they generated the lease uh, by pushing a button, the end customer received a lease uh, package on their phone and they could sign a DocuSign package. So uh, the next iteration included uh, leasing any any uh, power sport vehicle, and it became a push button automated system where when the lease was formulated in the on the dealer's screen, he could push one button and that would generate all the necessary paperwork that would end up landing on the phone of the customer. And they could simply sign all the lease documents with their thumb, lease and sign everything that way. Uh, and it was a brilliant system that... Um, became a model for a number of other companies that have come in behind us and looked at how they can actually facilitate transactions in in under 30 minutes. So um, if you've ever ha- if you've ever had to go buy a car or lease a car, you know it can be a painfully slow process. And uh, when it came to motorcycles, I was given the advice early on. As I said, I didn't know anything about the business. But I listened to the marketplace and the marketplace said, hey, if you are going to do a system like this, you have to make sure somebody can get in and out of the store within 30 minutes or you're going to lose them. I said, "Okay, so why is that? Well, when somebody makes a decision to buy a, a motorcycle or a power sport item, it's usually an impulse and you have to capture that impulse. Something about them said, I really want this. And so you have to make sure that they get it right then at that moment. Otherwise, they'll walk out the door. And I think it was, a, I think the statistic was if somebody walks out the door without making the commitment, there was an 80% chance that they would never come back. Somebody would have talked them out of it. Some question would have come up. And um, so anyways, we helped, we helped dealers and riders uh, all across the country get on, uh, get on something that was a lot of fun for them. So. That was great. Um, and then <clears throat> since that point, I uh, I took a look at uh, some, some personal experience in uh, services that I have uh, at our house. And I thought there's got to be a better way for these guys to uh, help communicate with me as a customer. And so it was from that basis that I, I formed uh, Pro Valet. We really needed to have some we needed to have some better communication about pool service, lawn care, home cleaning. Great that we have, you know, the capacity to talk to people, but really complicates things when you need other things done. And the level of communication that is available through traditional routes, telephones, texts, emails is fine, but it really doesn't facilitate a quick 21st century way to facilitate uh, needs and wants and a, and a response that correspondingly happens 
um, professionally and quickly. It, it can often be an awful lot of time in between. It's very time consuming. And so as a consumer, I didn't want to have to worry or didn't want to have to go through leaving voicemails in these voicemail boxes uh, and never hearing back from somebody. I think that's one of the most frustrating elements of service businesses that uh, the folks are working their their butts off try, trying to deliver a great service. And um, they would love to talk to all of their customers. They just don't have the time. And so uh, anyways, it leaves, it leaves some questions out there. So we've, we've addressed that with our, with our new platform pro valet and, I'm excited to excited to bring it to market, which is one of the things we're doing right now. Yeah, that uh, that sounds really good, and I've got a number of questions about that because I, I think that it is a it's an interesting product, obviously an in, an interesting business, as well as some of the things that you've talked about. Um, you know, going back to uh, it, I guess starting a little bit back in your career, um, you know, with some of the leasing, uh, specifically around Harley and some of the other power sports things. Uh, you know, you talk about, you know, finding this, this basically new opportunity for you and something that you know, we think about now that is, it, it seems very much like, you know, it, it just, it makes sense. Like you should be able to do a lease easily, you know, on your phone, but I'm assuming at the time that was not the norm and it wasn't something that, you know, was, uh, readily accessible. So, you know, going in and really changing almost changing the paradigm to, you know, we need to make this process that is probably somewhat difficult and somewhat time consuming and make it very, very quick. And then also bring it in, introduce you know, more technology into it to you know be able to just tap things on the phone and, uh, you know, get through the process and be able to, you know, have the lease for the Harley in, in, the case of Harley or for, you know, some of the other motorcycles and power sports things walk us through, like, you know, what was the landscape like when you were kind of looking at that and how did, uh, addressing some of these problems that existed and then using technology to, to kind of overcome some of the initial hurdles. What was that like as you went through that? It was, uh, so I really appreciate the question. Um, very few people understand what it takes to actually deliver a product. And oftentimes it's, it's through a lot of trial and error. In in our case, uh, because nobody had ever done it before, um, knowing what we wanted to do and knowing certain technology that was available to us, we had to blend old world and new world before we actually got to the new new world where everything is digital. And so I'll give you a specific example. We wanted to... Um, so when you perform vehicle leases uh, in the country, you have both state and federal compliant lease forms that you have to use. Uh, registering to do business in each state was not that big of a, of a deal, uh, but actually making sure that the documents, the actual documents that you were filling out, there's certain formulas that had to happen. That was, that was fine. And that was uh, straightforward to put together. I won't say it was all easy, but it was straightforward to put together. But to actually get that information onto a digital form was the challenge. At the time, there were no digital forms. Um, the actual forms were a piece of paper. So we called the form company. Um, I want to say it was Reynolds and Reynolds. And uh, we said, we need to get the, we need to get the, the lease form for, uh, call it Florida. And uh, okay, great. And they sent me a box and it was about 
it was about three and a half to four feet tall, three inches wide and uh, 12 or 14 inches wa- uh, wide here. And I said, so what in God's green earth is this? So I pulled it open and it's just, it's literally uh, tr- forms in triplicate that people would put through an old Oki data dot matrix printer. This is what every dealer in the country is using. And I, th- I said, and what's interesting too is that there's there's printing on the front and there's printing on the back. So the way the form was put together was constructed so that you know although the anyway I won't get into all the the, the details of it, but it was suffice to say it was challenging to look at it and figure out how are we going to make this work. And my partner at the time, he took a form home over the weekend and he took a pair of scissors to two or three forms and cut the proper sizes that we needed for eight and a half by eleven sheets of paper and uh, created uh, PDF copies of them. And then from there, turned them into uh, fillable PDFs so that when we created all the math in the background and wanted to put that up onto a, um, onto a, onto a PDF, it could happen immediately. So nobody had done this before. And, I, and it was a year and a half or two years later that I finally got the folks at uh, Reynolds & Reynolds to digitize their um, uh, digitize their forms so that we could actually lease their forms. And the way they, the way you buy forms is in, is in bulk. So anyways, we we ended up striking a deal with them to get their, their forms digitally, but that was how it started. It was like, you know, and the reason we did it, the, the, the necessity here was that dealers saw the value in, providing the lease as an alternative to cash or financing. Many of the, so when we started this business it was in 2011, 2012, this was after the great recession. So there were a lot of guys who got their credit knocked for one reason or another through the recession and they were in the process of rebuilding. So they didn't necessarily have great credit. These are really good guys, but they, they didn't necessarily have great credit. They were on their way up and the lease was the only way that they could actually get out and get riding. Uh, because we could dip into a lower credit spectrum. So we facilitated, you know, thousands of leases for uh, for guys and gals all across the country that otherwise would never have been on a on a Harley uh, initially. And um, and so that was that was where, necess- you know, the necessity breeded, you know, uh, the invention of blending paper form, turn it into a PDF and now turn it into an automated system where now, at that time the dealer would push a button and it would generate a PDF form that he could print out and have a writer sign it. That eventually morphed into a DocuSign digital form where nobody needed to print out anything. You just simply push a button to, to, to sign the document. Right. Yeah. Wow. That I, I find it fascinating to think about um, how far we've come because the idea of not having, you know, those types of documents digitized is it, it's it's interesting to think about. But, you know, a decade or more ago, like this was very much the norm that, yeah. you know, digitized documents to sign were were very, very rare. And if you did have a digitized document, it was something that you printed out, you signed it and then you had to like either scan it or, or fax it or do something like that to then send it back. Like the, to to be able to do easy signing like we do now is, it was a a serious problem, kind of like you talked about to overcome in order to, to make this type of thing much easier. Um, So I I think it's, 
it's fascinating, you know, having to like actually physically cut out and, you know, paste everything. So you have to, you have all of the, the forms you need in order to digitize them and then make them signable and, and that sort of thing. It's yeah, exactly. We were, we were just on that cusp, you know, operating just at that cusp where there was a transition that was, that was naturally happening in the marketplace. And um, fortunately we were able to transcend, transcend some of the challenges with some, a little creativity. Yeah. How was uh, working with the specific, I mean, you worked with a lot of, um, you know, different uh, dealers and um, users through the power sports, but with Mm -hmm. the Harley customer base specifically, you know, how, how much did you work with them and that sort of thing? Cause I I know that they are a, can be a very, very passionate uh, customer base Mm -hmm. and, and very much a brand aware, like you mentioned and brand loyal. So you know, what was some of the experience working with, uh, with those customers and those users, especially, um, you know, as you're potentially getting, um, some new ones coming in and, uh, riding, like you said, who may not have been part of it initially. Yeah. So we had, um, and you're right that people are very passionate about Harley Davidson and, and, um, we had two, um, from a, an end customer perspective, we had, um, it was very black and white. Some people loved us and some people wanted nothing to do with us. And, um, and, and initially I had a little bit of a question about why wouldn't you want to have anything to do with us? And, and there, and it was because of their passion for the brand there in their mind, they said, you know, leasing is not about Harley Davidson leasing, uh, or owning, you want to own your motorcycle. And then we had the other side of that with people who, I don't mind sharing this, but, you know, we talked to some customers who broke down and cried because all they wanted to do was ride a Harley. It's what they had always wanted to do. Uh, these were good people and they just simply had had a credit bump that didn't allow them to actually finance it and, and, and ride uh, with, you know, with, with a purchase option. So that came later on. Um, the people that took us up on the offer, they were the, they were the proudest ambassadors of that brand you could ever want to know because they had been told no numerous times before. And we said, yes, I mean, these, it was a, so there was an emotional attachment to the concept of, of leasing. Um, and then that, that trans translated down to, uh, or, uh, to the, um, uh, to the dealers, they had a they had a great uh, a great respect for the program. They especially liked how quickly we paid them for their transactions. Many dealers uh, sometimes were sitting waiting to get paid by the funding companies for months, and our our promise to the dealers was you'll get paid in twenty four hours. So uh, that became became a hallmark of the company, and uh, it was a lot of fun. Yeah, I, I'm sure. I have uh, known a few uh, very, very passionate Harley Davidson brand people and uh, writers, like you said, and uh, they, there's just, there's something about that that really, really hits home uh, mm-hmm. for, for certain individuals. And it's just, <laughs> it's great to see. Um, so now, not, uh, I'm going to, I'm going to just tell you something. Not every experience was beautiful and flowery and, yeah. you know, rainbows and unicorns. I'm doing, we had some, we had some, really bad people <laughs> who had really bad credit for a reason, take us up on the offer to lease them motorcycles. You know, uh, the very first experience with that was in the first several months uh, when we first started the business and somebody said, Oh, uh, 
yeah, I, I, I can't, I can't pay my, my, my payment. One of the, one of the, and, and one of the things I learned from my previous experience in leasing, you know, to fortune 500 companies, even though they're fortune 500 companies and the AAA credits, they, they have, there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of work to get paid every month, a lot of work to get paid. And I said, if we go into this consumer side, we need to make sure that as a, as a small business, we need to make sure we get paid on a, on a regular basis. So we uh, initially started the business saying, well, we'll take, you know, we'll take a check, we'll take credit cards, we'll take ACH, whatever. And in the first few months, of course, we had a couple of people say, well, I, I can't, I can't quite pay you now. Maybe I can pay you next week. And we said, well, uh, okay, let's, let's see how that goes. And of course, that, that immediately meant, if you ever heard that, that immediately meant they're never going to pay you again for whatever reason. There's all kinds of excuses. So we morphed the business immediately to ACH only. And what that said to us was, if there wasn't, if there weren't dollars in the account at the time that the payment was due, um, that, you know, we could simply call them and try it again, and they could make arrangements to make sure the dollars were there. If it didn't happen again, we were very close to the time that the payment was due. We could actually execute and go repo the bike immediately. We were, there's like a no questions asked policy. And some people were really taken aback by that. They were really used to finance companies who let these things stretch 30, 60, 90, 120 days. And we were not in a position to do that. And because we actually owned the asset, we could actually, we could tell them that we were just going to come pick up our bike. And it's like a, it's like a rental car. You know, if you, if you take a rental car out, uh, with, uh, with one of the big brands, Hertz, Avis, or what have you, and you don't return it, uh, they'll say, they'll make a phone call and you say, you were, you owed us, you owe us our car back. And if you don't bring it back, they will come find you and you can actually get charged with grand theft auto. Yeah. So anyways, it was like, so anyway, so again, not everything was all, you know, flowering, what have you. So there's some challenge, there's some practical challenges out there too. Yeah. And I think that's a great uh, point that you make and would be interested in, you know, what are, uh, as you've gone through and uh, you, you, you kind of mentioned being a serial entrepreneur and, Mm -hmm. and doing, you know, multiple different companies. And, you know, we've been talking about uh, this one in particular, but um, as you've gone through a number of these and a number of different roles and businesses, um, what have been some of the both the biggest highlights that you've you've had, and then maybe some of the biggest challenges that you faced uh, from either a company standpoint or a product standpoint? Any of those? Yeah. Okay. Thank you. Uh, well, I think highlights from so the experience with the Harley Davidson leasing. Uh, companies was how important it was to listen to the marketplace to make sure that the product you were developing met expectations or exceeded expectations. Um, a big takeaway out of that is is a, a challenge that any founder has uh, or any CEO might have with uh, developing a company or a product is wanting to hear. Uh, some things from the marketplace and then having a filter that says, is this input good for the business overall, or is this specific to this person's opinion about their business? And that distinction is, uh, it's critically important that you know 
for me, my, one of my big takeaways was understand the business and the marketplace and what uh, what this idea, how it's going to impact both of those things. And if it if it's positive for both, it's something you really need to consider spending time and resources on to develop and make sure it's a part of the solution. If it doesn't help the business itself and or the overall market, then uh, you probably ought to put it on the shelf and it's just, it's an interesting idea that maybe doesn't work, but that filter right there, that was one of my big takeaways when we were at, uh, when we were developing Chrome capital was understanding, learning which of these things were really, truly important is, you know, one of the things I find as a, as a founder is, you know, having an infinite, uh, curiosity is great, but like they say, curiosity can kill the cat, right? So, you, you can be curious and you can ask for the feedback and assuming that you get it, you just have to put it through the filter of, is this good for just that particular person or company, or is it good for my company and the overall market that we're serving? So that's one takeaway. Uh, and that has been the case actually now with building out Pro Valet. It's the same, same platform. We're infinitely curious about what people really need and want. And then we have to take that information, that feedback, and, and layer that into the uh, into the actual solution. So, I would say that the biggest challenge um, beyond that then becomes really uh, sales. You know, what is the what's the go to market strategy that's going to effectively return an amount of dollars that says, "Hey, this was generally a good economic idea." So. That was uh, when we were developing Chrome Capital, we originally thought, hey, you know, where do you get Harley Davidson motorcycles? Harley Davidson dealers, right? Except that what we found out in the first 18 months was that Harley Davidson dealers, although I could sign up every single one across the country, very few of them actually use the program. And that's because they already had, they had their business model from Harley Davidson, which says, use Harley Davidson Financial Services, which is a, a great company. And that was the model for the deal, those dealerships. And I had some salespeople tell me from the field, they said, you should really think about doing business with independent motorcycle dealers. And I thought, um, well, initially, initially, I didn't, I didn't think that was a good idea for the business overall. So I, I punted on it. Um, and then they came back several months later and said, we think that you could do a lot more business with the independent dealers than with the actual Harley dealers. And the reason for that is that we were, we were trading primarily, uh, almost exclusively in pre-owned Harley Davidsons. So pre-owned Harley Davidsons are an open market item and there are dealerships independent dealerships all across the country that specialize in pre-owned Harleys and they are beautiful bikes. They've typically been upgraded with a number of different features. Um, I'd say that 99% of these bikes are in almost brand new condition. So, so we took a, we dipped our toe into that. And what we found was um, that, that that market strategy, that was the winning strategy. So then we went from signing up, you know, a couple hundred Harley dealers to almost a thousand dealers with the preponderance of them being independent dealers who actually used the program. So we grew, we grew exponentially just by listening, you know, listening to the market. Um, yeah. And so now, you know, the go to market strategy with our, with our current platform is a bit, has been very interesting because we're focused on the small and medium sized 
what I call regular interval service companies, the uh, pool service, lawn care, home, home watch, home cleaning. Those are, those are four of the ones that are taking us up on, um, on the, uh, on the pro valet system and, and, um, understanding that market and how to get to it has been so far a little bit of a challenge, but I think we now have a way of looking at how do we want to actually communicate with those folks? So marketing 101 is meet your customer where they are, right? And so although we had engaged people to make cold calls, cold emails, and you think, well, surely we'll get some response. (laughs) The small business guy uh, really doesn't have time for that stuff. And he's not sitting, he or she are not sitting at their desk waiting for a phone call from us. So where, and, and so I'll ask you, where do you, where do you think that they live? Where do I think that the small business? Yeah. So like, where do you, where do you think you meet people like that? Where, where would you, where would you guess that you would meet people like on, that? On probably on the road or, or wherever they're working. On the road or wherever they're working. And typically wherever they're working, what I found, Kyle, is they have this yep. and they all pick it up and they all want to check Facebook or Instagram. <laughs> and so that's actually our go to market at this point is to create compelling storylined um, uh, posts that engage people in a way that say, well, let me check. We should check this out. So, yeah. so we're actually using that as what I'll call filling the top of the funnel with uh, lead funnels that people, you know, they want to see more, they can go in and check it, uh, give us a little bit of information and see some more information and drop in and schedule a demo or uh, actually just go straight ahead and sign up for a free account. And I want to kind of dive into this <clears throat> a little bit more because we've, you know, we've touched on uh, Pro Valet and kind of the the idea behind it. And, and I think it's a really fascinating one because as you were talking about it, even just just recently yesterday, as of the, this recording, um, probably a little bit in the past, um, when we release it, but you know, we were just having some lawn service done and the way we, we were communicating was to call a bunch of people. And then once we found someone, um, we were texting back and forth on, you know, the times and, and what we were going to do. And it struck me that, you know, this is, it sounds like the problem that you saw with a number of these uh, regular interval service companies. And the, one of the things that you kind of set out to solve in at least one part of it is, you know, the communication between these companies and the people and the, the customer and they're the people that they're serving. Let's, let's talk a little bit more about that. Like, you know, what, you know, what were some of the problems that you saw? And then, you know, how did you go about, um, you know, figuring out how to solve those? Mm -hmm. So in any relationship, the single most important element that you'll find is the caliber of communication will dictate really how good is that relationship. And service companies are often hired to do one certain thing. Um, you know, a plumber or an electrician or HVAC guy. That's what, those are what I call appointment driven businesses. And you'll go in and you'll, now you can research and you can see what their ratings are and what have you. And that's how you might maybe select, or in many other cases, you'll use a referral source. Like you have a buddy who used somebody, you know, I got a guy over here who does this, what have you. All of those businesses operate on a referral basis. 
Um, when it comes to the recurring interval service, this is somebody who's going to be at your home or in your home on a fairly constant basis. If you if you can, you know, think about it as a subscription, you're really subscribing to a service. And so we looked at it from that perspective. And any subscription, digital or otherwise, typically um, has a a currency of communication. And if it's good, if it's good communication, it's good currency, there's good value. And so one of the challenges I had originally was I have good guys, but I had no idea when or if somebody showed up to do my pool. And as it turns out, I'm not the only person who feels that way. We went to uh, pool shows. And one of the first things that we learned was that um, pool service companies wanted to make sure that they provided accountability to their customers and proved that they were there because invariably they would get phone calls that said, hey, you know, I think you guys were scheduled for today, but it doesn't look like anybody's been by. And of course, the owner would say, well, you know, uh, John was actually at your your, uh, place today, according to our schedule. Well, I don't believe you. Well, okay, maybe I have to send somebody back out and when are you going to be there? I can have somebody drag a skimmer through again so you can actually see that we did something and then that, <laughs> and then we're done. Uh, so with our system, we've created, um, we, we've solved for the accountability component, right? So, and we're using technology to do it. We've got uh, a dashboard where you build out your, in modules, these super easy modules to build out your, what I call service form or dispatches. And then you create subscriptions for those for your customers. And what happens once you've done that is that cadence is set into the system. And every Monday, John's dispatch, his his schedule of jobs just pops up on his phone. That's the second piece is uh, the technicians actually have an app and that's where all their jobs show up. Now, the the difference that we have in in, uh, versus many other uh, companies who do this, this is called field service management, by the way, which, again, I wasn't really painfully familiar with until now. Um, And I won't, I mean, say painfully tongue in cheek. The technicians are GPS tracked. It's one of our differences is that because they're GPS tracked, they have to actually be at the job in order to check into the job. So in other words, again, coming back to the accountability component, they can't be sitting down at the local lunch place and check into jobs and say that they did them and and say that they were complete. So they check in now with Pro Valet. They go to the the job. They check in. There's a timestamp. And that timestamp can become a part of the report that ultimately gets sent to the customer. Um, So... In the case of the the technician, he'll come and perform his job. And when he's done, he hits submit. Now there's a timestamp that says, this is now I'm done. And so all of that becomes, can become, depends on what the owner wants to be be in the customer report. We let them choose. That will be sent to the customer. As As soon as that job is done, that goes over to the customer. And now they have a report both on an email. And then the third thing that we have developed that nobody else has is the customer app. There's a homeowner app that actually acts like Uber for a service business. So when the technician checks in, there's actually a little notification that can pop up that says, hey, your service has started. When it's done, it says, hey, your service has been complete. So I can be at the office and now I know, okay, the guys are there, they did their job. 
uh, or the cleaning people came and they did their job, terrific. I can open it up and I can see that report on my on my phone. Um, I can rate the service one to five stars, which is a really interesting discipline that we've established for this platform is that that rating system is an internal rating system. It doesn't go out to Yelp. It doesn't go to Google. It's only for internal. And I think that's more important than managing by some sort of public. I mean, I think the Google and Yelp are very important uh, rating features for for general uh, sort of advertising on certain things. But most of these businesses are referral businesses. So if I can control my uh, quality internally, then I'm going to do that. And the way our system is set up, it's really cool. If if for some reason one of your customers gives you less than four stars, you're going to get an alert on your dashboard that says, hey, Mrs. Johnson just gave you two stars. So then you can pick up the phone because you have a relationship with them. And you can say, I noticed you gave us two stars. What can we do to, to, to help? And the sooner you get after those problems, anybody in business knows this, the sooner you get after a problem, the easier it is, the better it, it gets resolved. Um, they can pay for they can pay for their services through the app, which is terrific. Um, they can tip the technician like you can with Uber. Uh, the thing that I really like about how we've how this platform has developed, though, is the communication that now goes the other way. The customer can now request services on the app, and the way that they do it is they push a button, they type a little description, and then they can add a video. So. One of the one of the things we hear from pool guys all the time is they get phone calls on Monday morning. They'll come into the office and their their voicemail is littered with people who have left long voicemails trying to describe the noise or the problem or my pool is leaking, all of which require probably an on-site visit, all of which is very expensive. Now, what we've done is we've actually digitized that and put it on their desktop, because when a customer says I need service, and they hit submit, that lands on the dashboard and it becomes an executable, schedulable job. And by the way, 95% of all of these videos illustrate exactly what the problem is. So there's a, so we're saving the pool guy time. We're giving the customer the outlet. And by the way, the assurance that 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 they were heard because when it does get opened at the at the dashboard site, they get another notification that says your your request has been uh, is being reviewed. And then when it gets scheduled, they get another little notification that your service has been scheduled. And so these are things that happen automatically versus I have to pick up the phone, call somebody. So it's a it's it's been an exciting uh, journey so far, and and really you know for us the way we look at what we've developed so far is that it will ultimately become uh, the Shopify of service companies. So in the way that people look at opening up a retail store online, Shopify becomes a default decision because I can go in, I can set up my shop and boom, I'm online and and we're professional, right? And so this is the same way that we look at Pro Valet, that if you're a service company and you want to professionalize your business and improve your um well, build a cash time for sure. Build a cash time becomes two days, not 35 days. You want to improve your customer communication habits automatically uh, and in real time. You want to improve your communication with your with your technicians. Uh, the same thing. It happens in real time. And by the way, your, the quality of your work is elevated simply by virtue of the communication.
Yeah, that it sounds super, super fascinating and solves a host of problems um, with a number of different aspects, like kind of like you're mentioning. I'm interested, you know, as you've gone through um, a number of these different features and use cases, you know, you talked a little bit earlier about, you know, really filtering some of the signal and noise, you know, what, mm-hmm. what's really valuable and, and what may not be as valuable for, um, for customers, for you as a business, for other businesses, you know, how have you approached that as you've taken a lot of the feedback, as you've seen some of these problems in the market, um, you know, with users that, you know, these are, you know, the, the real things that, you know, customers care about, that businesses care about. And, you know, maybe these are things that are a little bit more esoteric or, or not as um, important immediately to address. Uh, you know, how have you approached that with ProValet? Well, a lot of it is uh, being vulnerable with an idea and then getting feedback. And so we've engaged in a thousand conversations so far with different uh, pool service companies, cleaning companies, home watch companies, um, some lawn care companies, and talked about the different features that we thought would be really cool to put in there and receive feedback that, well, I don't really, that doesn't mean anything to me. And so really the, the ultimate, the ultimate goal is to make sure that the market that we're looking to serve uh, nods their head and says, yes, that, that looks good. One of the, one of the attributes that we've, we continue to wrestle with is pricing. You know, this is always, you know, pricing discovery is always one of those elements of any business when you put it out there that, that becomes, uh, there's art and science attached to it, right? Uh, we're not building a widget that has, uh, an X production cost and we have a margin that we have to hit, um, uh, before it gets delivered to the to the store and then there's a margin that gets layered up on top of that this is a different this is a different multiple scalable uh fungible sort of like uh being if you will so what we wanted to do at the outset was establish a a pricing that people just couldn't refuse right like it's it's so it's so inexpensive that nobody would say no to it just because of the price um, and we found that there's been some success in that. And what we're looking at now is uh, because it does take some time to get people set up in it. There's this, you know, I think a lot of companies think, hey, this all sounds really good, but I don't want to go through the process of actually getting set up because it would just take too much. I can't conceive of it. So we've actually gone. So behind the actual product itself is how do we get people to an automated platform. And my, um, my challenge for our team a year ago was I want somebody to get automated within 90 minutes. So in the same way that we were challenged earlier by, Hey, we've got to get somebody on a motorcycle and approved and out the door within 30 minutes. Uh, can we do that with service companies and get them automated within 90 minutes? And actually, we found out that we can do that by virtue of um, building um, certain tools that take what could take days with other businesses uh, a second to actually take all of their data, organize the way it needs to be organized, and push one button and have all of that load up into our system. So we've, 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 we've eliminated that hurdle for people and they are actually blown away by that because the, the alternative was I stay with pencil and paper and Excel and maybe QuickBooks and, 
every month I ha- I'm chasing my tail, trying to make sure that I, I perform the service, I manage the people, I get my paperwork put together. I actually have to print, potentially print and, and, and fold and stuff invoices. We, we, there are companies out there that do this today. And, and, that's, and, and so we're actually helping people who have been in that mindset, moving them to this concept where we'll get all of your data into one place and you can automate all of that. And it will just simply be there. I hope that answers the question. <laughs> yeah, no, that, that's, that's really great. And, and kind of leads into uh, another question, you know, how do you see um, you're obviously using automation to both onboard people, um, you know, more quickly, get them up and running within 90 minutes. Um, you know, how do you see automation continuing to play into, you know, both what companies are doing as they get onto the platform, um, making their work more effective and just generally, um, you know, impacting, you know, what you're doing at ProValet and, and, you know, maybe even more broadly, you know, what, what do you see both the future uh, immediately and going forward for, you know, a lot of the automation that, you know, we're seeing happening and, and probably even happening more rapidly now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So uh, we, we view where we are right now in helping to um, automate service companies where building a website was in the nineties, you know, really early in automation. And there's some fantastic field service platforms out there, but none of them have engaged the customer the way we've engaged the customer. Um, at bringing the customer into the uh, into that equation has been uh, elemental in the value proposition of Pro Valet. Uh, some people are are somewhat scared of it. So you ask, you know, where where do we see automation going? We have a we have a bridge to cross because people are very used to having a tactile relationship with their business. And so automation says, you're going to be hands off. And do I really trust this thing? It's almost like Tesla, right? Like, do I really trust that I can take my hands off the wheel? And what we're finding is the people that take us up on it and who do ultimately take their hands off the wheel are are pretty impressed with the amount of time uh, that they get back into their life. Like, they just can't believe that they have these extra two to four hours every week and it doesn't sound like much in conversation, but when you look at somebody's day, you know, if you're going to add an extra hour into somebody's day, that's a that's a very meaningful uh, contribution to maybe a better life. Maybe maybe it means you get to go home an hour early and have dinner with your family, or get to go to your kid's ball game, right? So, I mean, I'm a big proponent for small business guys. Um, I grew up in a in a in a household that was uh, led by a small business guy. Uh, consumed vast amounts of time to create the relationships, to create the business, um, which was great. Um, but I certainly know that, you know, had had my dad had an opportunity or uh, the, the ability to take some extra time to be uh, home sooner than later, he would have done that. And so I don't know that I think that's a I think that's a relevant um, uh, aspect with the people that we've met. It seems to be uh, deeply important for them to find a little bit of extra time for themselves, for their relationships, for their family, or maybe it's something more productive for their business where they're actually generating, generating more capital, generating more revenue, generating more profits because they have that extra time to think about what could they do better. Maybe it's time to sit down and interview somebody else to bring them on board and you hire a better, you know, a better employee. So, um, all of those, all of those attributes, 
get fed into how automation can create this additional time. And where I see automation going, you know, I mean, we all heard, uh, I say we all, most of us have probably heard about, uh, you know, AI recently and how it's accessibility for just the general Joes to come in and uh, use some AI. It's just become very accessible and, I, it's a double-edged sword for me, AI. I, I think it's enormously valuable for uh, some general tasks, but I get really scared about how, you know, if you understand the implications of, of what true artificial intelligence means at the end zone, I'm on the side of Elon Musk that says we really need to control how this is developed and put into the marketplace right now. We might be too late already. But that we know that right now, if you can project where this should go, where this could go in the future, uh, you're looking at uh, some very real challenges, I think, coming down the road Uh, where we're looking at using AI internally with our platform right now is on the we have a communications and notifications module that's a, a part of the solution. And we're talking right now about how do we integrate using uh, chat GPT as, ex- as an example to help, you know, just simply give it a prompt, you know, as and in this notifications and communications module, uh, you can select to whom in your profile of, you know, 200 or 3000 customers should get a message and what does it need to say and when does it need to go? So chat GPT for me becomes the component where you can simply write a prompt, write a prompt to my customers on Route 7A that uh, Billy is not going to be there uh, and that we'll get to them next week. And they can write a well-branded notification, which from our system can go out by email, text, and a notification on the homeowner app. So I, I see that's how, that's how I see some of this coming together. Scheduling will be another uh, component that I think will become more AI related where you can find holes in your schedule and identify those. Um, you know, Thursdays between three and five, you have a two every month. You have this gap available gone into the future. So somebody who's in sales can say, OK, if I have a, a new cleaning prospect. These are the dates and times that were available. If you like that, we'll secure it. So then all of a sudden you can close that deal immediately. So there's there's some elements to a to, to the AI world, I think, that are going to be critically important. Yeah, uh, absolutely agree on all those points. I think that it tons of potential uses, but also as we get a little bit further down the road, um, what are the implications for us to be considering, which it's probably a whole long topic to to dive into, but uh, I think a really fascinating and important one. You know, this has been a, a so far a, a, an amazingly good conversation. Um, and, and I have a couple other questions as we start to kind of wrap this up. But kind of summing up a lot of what we've talked about, you know, what advice would you give to somebody who is uh, looking to? Uh, you know, maybe start their own company or, you know, become a founder or get into technology, like, um, you know, from the things that you've learned and what you've done, uh, you know, what would be a piece of advice that you'd give them? Any idea that you come up with is probably a good one. There's a foundation in it that comes from inside you as something that you see as a true need. I think the biggest challenge for um, anybody who comes up with an idea is how do you get a 
a sanity test on whether it's something you that should be pursued or not. And I would never dissuade anybody from pursuing some passions that they have. But if you're looking for something that's marketable, I have told this story before I go back to the mother test, like, would my mom buy this from me for a dollar? Like, you know, and if my mom says no, then we don't pursue it. I mean, I had I had several ideas and I put it through uh, the family test that way. And if it just if it cost a buck, is it something that you would use? Is it something that you would buy? And if the answer is no, we, we don't we just shelve it and go, OK, that was an interesting, you know, mind idea and leave it and let it go back to the universe. Um, but um, but no, if you if you can get uh, some uh, feedback where. Here's the, here's the, okay. So here's the greatest filter I I ever learned was, uh, if you think your idea is good, benchmark it and say, and, and ask people in that market who would buy it. Does this, is this a painkiller or just a vitamin? And if you ever heard that before, but that, that analogy worked really well for me and it does keep you on target with your solution. If you are actually solving a problem, keep going down that road. Don't get distracted by the components that might look and feel good, but not really necessarily solving this problem. I, I think those are really, really good pieces of advice. Um, I I like the idea of of the mom test or the mother test, like you said, and then the painkiller versus vitamin. Like, are, are you are you solving a real problem that's that's causing pain mm-hmm. or is it you know, something that's, you know, kind of supplemental, um, because those are two different things and not that, um, not the vitamins are bad, but you know, when you really get down to a business idea, um, and what people are willing to pay for, you know, taking away pain is something that is just fundamentally different than, uh, than, you know, just kind of supplementing or or vitamins or things like that. So I think those are great. Exactly. Um, well, this has been uh, this has been so much fun, and and I've I've really really enjoyed our our conversation going through um you know going back in in some of the technology and then uh, really diving into some of the things that that you're working on right now and and kind of the product thinking behind it and and the development of it, um but and I've got two uh, you know two questions to kind of wrap up for us, um but before we get there, um are there is there anything else that you wanted to add that you know we talked about or maybe didn't have a chance to talk about. I'd love I'd love to talk to people who hear the uh, hear the podcast and get their feedback on it. I mean, that would be cool to hear what people think, if especially if they're in the service business or know somebody who's in the service business. That would be be interesting to have that discussion to hear if what I said resonated with them. And I don't know how we do that, but I'll let you uh, drive that. And then. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think this has been a great conversation. Also, I really, really appreciate being on here with you. It's a great, it's a great podcast, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm pleased and, and and very honored to be here. So, thank you. Yeah, well, it's been it, it has been great talking with you. And for those who do want to maybe reach out, get in touch with you, uh, where can they do that, and where can they find out more about um, uh, Pro Valet and, and the things that you're working on? Yeah, sure. So, if somebody wanted to send me an email, I I would welcome that. Uh, and you can just send it to Peter at provalet.io. And if they want to check out the website, uh, it's provalet.io. Super easy. 
Okay. And we will put both those links in the show notes so you can uh, get in touch with Peter and you can check out uh, Pro Valet uh, if you're interested or especially if you're in the field services industry and and want to learn more about that, which I think is is great. Um, so kind of wrapping this up, we, you know, we like to ask everyone uh, a couple questions uh, and these don't necessarily have to be uh, business or product related, um, but have you read or watched or listened to anything recently that you found particularly interesting and would like to share? Uh, that's a good question. I, uh, I consume a lot of information from across, uh, from across a wide range of um, inputs I read an interesting article this morning about the, there's a gentleman, a there's a Croatian guy that ended up figuring out how to beat uh, casinos at roulette. <laughs> a seemingly huh. random game. And he figured out how to uh, beat casinos at roulette. And uh, it seems that some of it had to do with, the style of wheel. Interesting. I didn't really know that there was such a thing. And then there was the timing of the bet that he made, depending upon certain things that happened inside the spin. Anyways, I found it to be really fascinating that somebody would take the time to try to figure out how to beat what really appears to be a completely random game. So that was of interest. Uh, that was in Bloomberg, I believe. So that was of interest. Um, no, I don't want to get into politics or anything else. I mean, this, one of the things that drives me is, you know, what's really happening in the economy. Um, and you get so many different uh, views on things today that it's, uh, it's, hard to, it, it's hard to land on something that feels solid. Although I will say I like Ray Dalio uh, as a guy to listen to. He has uh, a great uh, platform uh, called Principles, and you know he's uh, he's an advocate for one of the only constants we can ever rely on, and that is change. Change is happening right now, so yep. I can yep. leave you with that. Um, yeah, those are those are a couple of things that I would think about right now. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's that's really good. I'll have to check out the the roulette one because I'm with you. I that to me feels entirely random. Uh, so I'll have to, I'll have to dive into what that means, being able to actually uh, sit in a statistically meaningful way, uh, you know, beat the casino at roulette or something that feels yeah. totally random. So yes, yeah, a guy, he, he absolutely crushed it uh, with hitting, hitting the right bets, like eight, 10, 12 times in a row. And he just absolutely cleaned places out. <laughs> Wow. Yeah. Uh, fascinating. All yeah. right. Um, and then, you know, to wrap it up, any products that you're enjoying using right now or not using, and those of course can be digital or physical products, anything. Yeah. So, you know, on the digital side, I'd say, go check out all the AI, uh, any, any AI thing. If you can think of something that you need help with, whether it's writing or creating, uh, check out some of these AI, uh, uh, tools. I think there's one called ad copy. I used the other day for, uh, trying to write a, a Facebook ad, did a brilliant job. I'm like, great copy that post that, you know, it looked, looked good, turned out great. Uh, there's another one that generates, uh, actual reels for Instagram and, oh, I'm having a hard time remembering the name of that one. I'm sorry. I don't remember that one. 
Anyways, uh, a physical product that we would uh, highly recommend is Cord Brick. Go to cordbrick.com and buy Cord Bricks. A seemingly innocuous but uh, extremely helpful tool for managing your digital cords. It's a brick. It's a silicon brick that's got a metal disc, a metal uh, cylinder in it. So it's got a little weight to it. They come in great colors and you simply put your cord through some of the creases that they put in there. And that sits at your desk side or, or at your bedside. So you're not fishing around looking for your cords all the time. So, uh, We've actually given them away at uh, trade shows, and we're now, that's one of the things people align us with. We, we tell people, look, uh, have a cord brick. It'll organize your cords for you. Hire us from Pro Valet. We'll organize your business for you. Agree. I, I'm actually, I was just thinking that as I was, I have like a mess of cords that I was uh, going through, and I was like, I need to get something to do that. I'm, I will have to go check that out. and. Probably and it's by a young entrepreneur, yeah. by the way, that I, it's a young, a young guy here actually from Naples who developed it, uh, Nick Barrett. He's a great guy and uh, he's come up with a dynamite, um, a dynamite product. Okay. All right. We'll put the link in the show notes as well. And probably here in the not too distant future, we'll be talking more about it uh, and my experience with it. Cause I am certainly, I'm sure like everybody and one of those people who just has too much of a mess of cords everywhere. So I'm sure that will be something that could solve that. Well, that is awesome. So Peter, again, uh, appreciate all of the insight and uh, everything that you've shared today. I think this has been uh, a great conversation and uh, really, really enjoyed uh, talking both about you know the things that you've worked on in the past and, and what you're working on right now. Kyle, thank you very much. I really appreciate it. Again, I love being on your podcast. It's just been a, uh, a real honor. Thank you. Yeah, well, thank you. And thank you, everyone, for listening. We will talk again next time. Thanks again for listening. If you like the show, be sure to follow or subscribe on your favorite podcast app. You can follow the show on TikTok at Prodigy.co and on Twitter at Prodigy.co. You can also follow me on both of those platforms at Kyle Larry Evans. If you want more product conversation, check out my newsletter, Prodigy, at Prodigy.co. You can also follow me on Medium at Kyle Larry Evans, or check out my Medium publication, Prodigy. Of course, you can check out all these links in the show notes.